Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It is the Friday show. It's Neil Atkinson. I've got Beth Lindup. I've got Tessa Simakulwa. And I've got Mike Kearney with me to settle in and look at the games. I've got Dave and Mooney coming on the phone to talk about Manchester City. Towards the end of the show, we're going to rattle through 6, 3 p.m.s before then uh, as we go through and we are going to start with what is certainly where the the the, the, the 3 p.m's are concerned i'd argue the most significant game it is not convenient uh, that it involves liverpool in fact in lots of ways i'd rather it didn't but the fact of the matter is that liverpool have got to play wednesday night against south against southampton and then move on and play saturday 3 p.m against nottingham forest and this is a massive game now beth at both ends of the table there's a huge cloud over forest given the everton appeal for two reasons. One, Everton's points deduction was reduced, but two, it was made clear that any uh, breach of the 105 limits on FFP would lead to a points deduction. So whatever number of points Forrest have got right now, supposedly they're accepting the char- some of the charges, so therefore there will be a deduction one way or another. And what that means, ultimately, until they know the amount of that deduction, is that they find themselves only four points above the relegation zone. They are in real, real bother, and they need to start putting some wins on the board. Yeah, they do. The pressure is enormous, isn't it? It felt like when, when Nuno came in, there was a little bit of an uplift there in terms of the results and the whole moves around the place. Um, but when you look, I mean, as you say, four points clear of Luton. Luton uh, they've played a, a game more than Luton as well. They've only won two of the last nine in all competitions, and one of those was, was on pens in the FA Cup as well. So... It's they're on a, a pretty torrid run of form and, and as you say it's like a big black cloud hanging over them hanging over probably the, the vast majority of teams in that bottom half of the table isn't it because who knows how you know how Everton's second potential points deduction will, will go so there's two teams there who you know both sort of have, have one eye on what's going to happen there um, so yeah it's one of those things does that act as a good thing for Forrest does that does that galvanise them particularly as they're playing at home we know how difficult Liverpool found it there last season um, you would like to think that Liverpool have enough to overcome that. They've shown time and time again this season that they, they've been adept at overcoming adversity. But who knows how many fit players Liverpool have by by three pm on Saturday? It's it's one Tesla with Forest. You watched them obviously last night uh, against Manchester United, where there's a really odd some of the parts conversation. In that I look at them and I think you know good player. Good player. Murillo, good player. Uh, Felipe, excellent last season. Clearly got a bit of a pedigree. Good player. That should be a centre-half partnership that works. Uh, and it, yet, it's one of those things that you feel a bit like, it does until it doesn't. Ioniwi, really good player. Bright as a button. Gibbs White, like him. You can sort of go through and you can make an argument of almost any of the sides, certainly in the bottom five, and maybe even in the, uh, in the whole of the bottom sort of eight, nine, and go... I could think of a, a top six team that could take seven, eight, nine of these. Like, you could farm them off. One could go there, one could go there, one could go there. And yet, and yet, they are where they are before a points reduction. They're only four points clear of the relegation zone. That's the oddity of Nottingham Forest. Yeah, and I think there's what you said is correct in terms of, like, most of the players could probably play for higher-level teams. But at the same time, it's almost like it works in their favour and works against them because... Other teams that get promoted predominantly still have the basis of their squad, which is made up from players that 
you know, have played in the championship or haven't played in the Premier League or a high level. So they, they're they almost playing for an opportunity to show how good they are in this league. Whereas if you go through the Forest team, majority of them have played even up to Champions League level with Hudson-Odoi winning the Champions League, Felipe, you know, Divock Origi, more players, Sangare, etc. So in their heads, it could be a case of mm, if the bank comes in and if we don't, do too well I'm just going to find another club anyway whereas other teams in previous seasons who probably be in this position will probably be like we need to do everything to win so it's it's a tough one because a lot of the players might just be thinking we're here for now not for a long time but as part of that though it says when I come back to you on it they've still got to find the way to properly put themselves in that shop window. I do take the idea of the ebbs and flows. You know, mm. Divock is a good example. He's gone from Liverpool to Milan, from Milan to now to Nottingham Forest. Alanga had yeah. an opportunity at Manchester United. It doesn't come through. Nico Williams has come from Liverpool. But it isn't as though any of these players have absolutely grasped the nettle. I th- what I'd worry about a little bit more is, and I do mean this, like, you know, couldn't adore Divock Origi more. It'd be practically impossible not to. But, a lot of the footballers that they've got where you're able to look at, I think in our heads, we see the high watermark level mm. that we've seen them play at. Whereas the reality is part of why they ended up at Forest is because they're not that good at delivering consistent 7 out of 10s. There's a lot of footballers in there who've had 9, 10 out of 10 moments in their career, but they've also been putting in 4s and 5s at other levels. And I think that's part of what does them in. Yeah, and I think... Squad building's obviously been not a strength of whoever runs the recruitment at Nottingham Forest, bringing in, I think it's 42 players in two and a half seasons or something around that mark. And that probably adds to the point that you made on you have a lot of players who've formerly for other clubs shown that the 9 or 10, because those other teams have players who are 7 out of 10, week in, week out, and now Forest have a collection of players who are either 9 or 4, or nine or a four, and they're probably lacking a few one one or two players who were just going to run and close down. That's why Ryan tackle. Yates appears to be important for them because yeah. he's at least that guy. And I think that's what Steve Cooper wanted to build when he did sign a few Championship players. I know Yates, he had Toffolo. You know, he kept playing Cook, which I I, I mean I'm glad he doesn't anymore. And um, McKenna, and the balance wasn't quite there. And I think Nuno's gone the opposite way and just said, you know what, these players aren't good enough. But the players who are good enough are the ones who are at an international level and I'm going to play you all. But then at the same time, they've probably never been in a relegation scrap. hudson Odoi's never been in a relegation scrap. Yeah, Origi, Owani, obviously from last year he had. But the other players have come from top leagues and they've been middle-of-the-road players at, in top leagues. But now they are the best at the lower end. So it's probably a, an adaptation period for some of them players. From Liverpool's point of view, Mike, looking at them, we go there last season, it's exceptionally difficult, Liverpool are poor. Um, the year before, there's the FA Cup quarter-final, which genuinely is one of the games that in my head has most retained its memory as having been played in black and white. Um, given the, the the weather, the time of year, it was a quarter-final, it kicked off I think at about 6pm, it was pouring down, um, it was... Immensely grim, it's settled by one goal, it's not a particularly uh, conducive or footballing romantic uh, occasion, it's worth saying. It's one where I think Liverpool will have the attitude that they're going to have to roll the sleeves up. That appears to be something that Liverpool find relatively straightforward these days, the idea of rolling the sleeves up. But they do need to be careful because they will be coming up against a front four, presumably of Hudson-Odoi, Gibbs, White, Alanga and Ioniwi. And say what you want, that's got some real counter-attack and power behind it. Yeah, it's it's mad, isn't it? Because this this Liverpool team last year go there, and you say it's a, it's a dog of a game, and, and we have chances from set pieces mainly, without really being that good. We 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 have the excuses there available to ourselves that we take readily take, and and oh, this happened, that happened, and we lost. And this Liverpool this season has had the excuses and not taken them. So I hope that's the the main difference between seasons and 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 results are certainly. But yeah, it it looked that as you just mentioned there, there's firepower there for them to have a 20 minute spell where they, they could even take a game away, which is mad, isn't it? Because they're, they're, they're right down there and they've not done that nowhere near enough. Um, I remember Steve Cooper. So there's a lot, a lot of talk when Steve Cooper leaves 
about how some, they had that many players that sometimes they just couldn't train properly because there was too many of them yeah. to be on the pitch and that's what that's what you're seeing there's no cohesion there really there's no set drills in terms of players knowing what to do and Cesar mentions the balance that's off yeah, we, we've got to be the ones that go there and, and make sure that they've got excuses on the day Liverpool were just that good Liverpool were too good Liverpool are too buoyant at the moment from, from the you know winning, the, winning the trophy winning games youngsters coming on doing doing the, the dirty work but also doing the the nice work as well you know we see Dan's scoring two off the bench through the night and looking really good we've just got that nice nice buzz around the place and if, if we've got that while putting the hard work in and having to scrap and win and and get the ball and, and you know make chances and take them. Key the key thing is to take a couple of early chances. It it, it should be a relatively easy game, but we, we must be aware that it, it's not going to be without having to do the work. Yeah, you mentioned it should be a relatively easy game, Mike. The thing I look at when I look at all the results that they've had so far over the course of the season at home, whether they've won, whether they've lost, or whether or not they've drawn, almost every game has still been alive. Yeah at home, at the city ground, going into the last, well, going into injury time. Arsenal, for instance, are the better side, much the better side, go 2-0 up, I we get one back, and Arsenal have got a really, really nervy last 10 minutes. That's the closest any team's come to sort of pulling away from them. Uh, you know, I that that's what I think. I don't see a universe here where, maybe I'm wrong, and I obviously hope I am, but I don't see a universe here where Liverpool are able to, to have their feet up with 15 to go. Uh, even mm-hmm. the other night, United, it takes a last-minute winner uh, for them to find a way. I think that this is the problem with this Nottingham Forest side is that I think this season they've been in a lot of those games where it's been tight late and it's just not broken for them and I you know that also obviously concerns you because as a, as a football supporter you can be a fatalist but I think it's important to say you know this is a side that that has took every game at home to the 90th minute yeah because that's ultimately the, the edge of them isn't it the, the, the only advantage Klopp says it about us today the only advantage we've got when we play at home is, is the home the home fight, the home crowd the home pitch the home whatever and they're, they're down there and have been last season and, and are again now this season with, a, with as, you, as you mentioned before a, a huge cloud over them so, so they're going to need to make them games as close as possible they're going to need to make them horrible and uncomfortable and it, it certainly can be that way I think I, I feel I feel as if we're more equipped for that now than what we, we maybe would have been when we were, when we rolled up there the other year and, and sort of took, as I said, took the excuses that we, we sort of made on the day for ourselves. It's it's a, it's a, I, th- I definitely think that we'll have eyes open going into it. We're not we're not going to be shocked at that it's going to be a, a tough game. It, you know, we went to, we went away to Luton this year and sort of engineered that one onto ourselves a little bit, like encouragement encouraging them onto us and you know not really being in the game at all at that level so you know even though there's there's injuries asunder in this squad they've been around the players you know Van Dijk will remember the Luton game from earlier in the season and draw upon that I think to to just be absolutely focused for 90 minutes We've, we haven't got a game until the Thursday after it so we can pour Everton into 90 minutes the even against United uh, in the cup says one of the things that struck me from the bits and pieces I saw and read is they are and have been since Nuno's come in they're very very passive in phases they want to soak it up they want to create the little shell they want to hold you they're happy for you to even encroach into their half before they engage they appear to me in the, amongst the Premier League teams at the minute to be one of those that's the happiest to say come on you let's see what you've got you have the ball for an extended period that happened to United uh, the other night and it, it took until the set piece to break the game open yeah, and I think obviously with the front four, well, they were they were there prior to Nuno's arrival, but he's really focused on having a striker. And earlier it was Chris Wood, now it's Owenyi, and having two wide players, Alanga and Hudson Odoi, fed by the uh, the brilliance of Gibbs White in behind them. He's, I think, what Nuno's trying to do, which he kind of did to an extent at Wolves, was kind of bring the defensive line further back to create more space in behind. The opposition's um, high line or the, the general um, defensive line. It, it worked for a couple of goals against Aston Villa, but the issue with Forest is even though they might score two, they can always concede two or three. And um, that's probably what's going to be an issue against Liverpool. The only positive that they can probably take before this game is Liverpool have come off the high of you know, winning the Carabao Cup and then playing the youngsters against. Southampton and winning that and it's how many of those youngsters are able to go again because I don't know how many players Liverpool will have back for the 
Forest game, but it could be a case of, I don't know, maybe Dan's has to start and he's still a young player learning his trade, but he's still getting over the, the, mm. the two goals he scored the other day. I think Liverpool, I think, are fascinating, Beth, in terms of what the manager's been doing around fitness. I think he'll be delighted with where he's ended up last night because I think he's offered himself a path to back towards some normality. This is the thing I keep coming back to looking at it. He's got himself into the situation where McAllister's played, in inverted commas, a normal amount of time across the two games. Endo, a normal amount of time across the two games. Diaz, it's now a normal amount of time. Elliot and Gomez, he's absolutely flogged to within an inch of the lives, it's worth saying. But I think he'll feel like, well, he gave Robertson a rest. So he's mm. got his back four. He's got his goalkeeper, we know it's going to be Kelleher. He's got his back four. The question is, does he have Sabozlai? In attack, he'll feel like he's got Gakpo, he's got Diaz. Will he have Salah or Nunez? Will he have both? Will he have a sub? You know, I feel as though he's, he's approaching back to at least, not a full bill of health, but the squad at least looking like it's a it's a semi-normal football squad, and I think that's what he'd be pleased about. Yeah, definitely, and I, I do sort of wonder, had the games this week been the other way around, had it been a Premier League game on, on Wednesday night and, and a cup game at the weekend, whether Mo Salah and Darwin Nunes and Dominic Sabozlai would have play, played a part, I think... I think it was uh, one of those games that Jurgen Klopp felt that he could rely on the kids for. We obviously had the, the power of Anfield to, to propel them on as An well. An extra time, which yeah. I think was a big moving thing for him. In that, if you you know if it's if you put them on the bench and you have the idea you want to bring them on on sixty or seventy, yeah. they could still play fifty minutes without a break. Yeah, and if they're coming back from injury, do you want That's to do that? That's not what you want. And I think he was probably of the mindset, like I think probably quite a, a fair chunk of the fan base was as well that if Liverpool went out of the FA Cup obviously you know they want to win every game they want to keep that winning momentum going but if they did go out it wouldn't be the worst result in the world in the context of how many injuries Liverpool have particularly when you consider now they've got a, a really tough t away tie at Manchester United to come in the Cup so um, I do think he was very much prioritising the league I hope that's the case anyway I hope in, in his press conference he doesn't turn around and say that none of the three of them are fit but I think he will have I'd expect I would expect all three of them possibly to, to play a part at the weekend. I don't think he'll start all three of them. Um, I think I could see Mo Salah starting if he's fit and, and Darwin Nunes coming off the bench. Um, but this Liverpool side that at the moment, that it feels like they're riding the, the crest of, of a wave that, that has been sparked by the manager confirming that he's leaving at the end of the season. The, the emotion and the passion that they're able to channel into every performance, regardless of the personnel on the pitch, feels almost insurmountable at times for, for an opposition but I do think Forrester as you say the sort of side that they do, they do stay in games and you don't want to, to get to a point where you give give away a cheap goal and they've got something to hang on to and something to fight for particularly considering that, that them and the fan base will feel like they're up against it at the moment off the pitch um, Mike how'd you say go on um, I'll bite your hands off for a win but, well, obviously, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I've never known a winner bite beat your hand. The no. number of hands had a bit off. <laughs> they call me Neil the Handbiter Atkins uh, off the back yeah. of me. I'd look, I, I, I don't care. I, I think, I, I look, I, I just back. I admit, I said on the team talk before Southampton, and look, it's different because it's Southampton in the cup and it's a different league, whatever. But Southampton are, are, were good, and by the way, showed to be a decent football team when they had the ball yesterday, I don't care who's on the pitch for Liverpool at the minute because I've got ultimate belief that they all believe in each other. They've got the, they've got each other's backs no matter how, how dirty the game gets and how, how far they've got to roll the sleeves up. I think they'll, they'll all be there absolutely 100% behind each other. And I, I, I think, I think, I, I think we'll go for a decent 2-0, two, 3-1. Two okay, uh, Tessa? 2-0 Liverpool. Two nil Liverpool. Okay, yeah. you don't get as many of them as you think, you know. Uh, Three one Liverpool. Okay, uh, a lot uh, of confidence in Liverpool to get the job done. <laughs> it's John Gibbs from the Anfield Wrap with a read, courtesy of NordVPN. NordVPN have been partnering us for a while, and we really appreciate their support. And I personally really appreciate their service because there is lots of benefits to using a NordVPN. Uh, first of all, shielding your data from snoops and criminals uh, helps shield your IP address and secures your online traffic with state-of-the-art encryption. You can protect yourselves on public Wi-Fi. Um, so if you want to catch up on your favourite shows or podcasts on hotel Wi-Fi, uh, you can make sure you're the only one listening. It is also 
available on all your, your devices. Uh, so you can set it up on up to six devices with a single VPN subscription. And also, one of the favourite things about it for lots of people, including me, is listening and watching all your favourite shows abroad. So if you are in the UK and you'd like to watch something this weekend, maybe it's Saturday at three o'clock, that isn't available on the UK, in the UK, sorry, but is available to watch in other countries. You can download the NordVPN, access um, different TV networks across the world and enjoy football that way. It also works when you're traveling, of course, so if you don't want to miss your favorite TV shows, whatever they might be, you can use the NordVPN to help you access that wherever you are in the world. Um, we have got a special offer for them as well. Um, so get your NordVPN plan. Go to nordvpn.com forward slash T-A-W nordvpn.com forward slash taw there's no risk with nord's 30-day money-back guarantee and you'll help support our podcast as well uh, the link is also in our episode description below thanks a lot to nord again and back to the show moving ourselves along uh, we've got the three pms as i said there's five of them no half past 12 for reasons that i don't understand and phil does neither uh, and i've got no other we've got no other places to turn uh, if me and phil aren't sure um, next one i want to talk about i want to talk about all of them at great length but spurs versus palace mike Palace feel very new and fresh, new manager, new ideas. I mean, God knows how excited they'll be when they've got Elise and uh, Eze back because that's when we know uh, Palace are capable of magic. So between these new ideas, they could they could go to uh, a galactic level. But um, I think Spurs need this. They've not through no fault of their own. They didn't play last weekend, so they didn't pick up any points, but it does begin to sort of compress the points that they feel as though they've got available. It is a home game against the bottom half side. They've got Romero and Van Van der Ven back. They've got the first choice midfield back. I just think there's no hiding places for Tottenham in this fixture. I think they've got to deliver and it's been quite rare, I've thought that about Spurs this season. No, it's it's definitely in that frame of of man for them now for the rest of the season. It's 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 deliver or or, or not get your your aim. Really. There's a lot of win your homes, isn't yeah, there for Tottenham yeah. now? A lot of win your homes. It's massive for them, by the way. That like you said, Romero and, and Van der Ven. Van der Ven's probably the biggest one back because he's he's rapid and like his recovery pace is is going to bail him out a lot. I think now he's back. He, he they can maybe push the you know the metal a bit more in terms of going for it in late in games and and it's all right we've got Van der Ven there he you know he, he he surprised me how good he is to be honest with you when we were linked with him in the summer it was a lot, a lot of chat about how lucky legs and how quick he was and now you, then you're seeing it going oh 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 actually he is really quick you know, it wasn't just a mad video where like he was on he was on one and a half speed and everyone else was on norm, normal speed he's quick but yeah it's, it looked it, they're now I know you said they've got a game in hand but I think they're, are they three or four points behind the more than one game the five, from, the five, five behind Villa, Villa and they've got Villa away next weekend you so that's why they've got yeah, to win this it's enormous then you can't you can't be drawing this game because then even if you beat Villa you're still behind them no matter what Villa do this weekend if you're not if you're not picking the three points up today or on Saturday sorry when it, when, when it comes around it's it's tough and look, they'll be they'll be begging Alisa and Eze not to be back yet because if if they are, it becomes infinitely tougher for them if they are. Um, Palace are a mad team. I watched, you know, my granddad's a blue, so I watched a couple of their games with them just because it's a, it's a fun thing to watch. Um, and and I watched the I watched the Palace Everton game and I don't know why I done it to myself, but Jordan Ayew just sparked out of nowhere and scored a bit of a, a mad goal. And, and and maybe if they do that to Spurs, they might start panicking a bit, um, because because of the situation being. Look, we can't lose this. We must win. And uh, uh, where are the end? They're basically a full bill of health again now, aren't they? Richarlison, yeah. Son's back from um, Kulusevski's back. Kulusevski's back. So there is, as you said, there's no hiding places. People have got to be stepping up and putting not just six and sevens out of ten, but eights and nines out of ten for the next couple of weeks and getting themselves back on that race for the top four. The the killer thing for Tottenham um, is, and this Palace game is a great example of it, at home, they've still got to play Manchester City and Arsenal, which, granted, no battle laughs for anyone concerned, but they've got home games against Palace, against Forest, against Luton Town, against Burnley. They've also got an away game last game of the season against Sheffield United, where you would have thought that was all done and dusted from the Sheffield United side, Tezza. But they've also got this horrible set of quite trappy away games still to play between now and the end of the season against West Ham, against Newcastle, against Chelsea, against Fulham. And this one I've mentioned against Villa as well. They've got all these games where ultimately they'll do well to go at one and a half points a game out of the games they've got against the remaining top half because they've got the, the, the better sides at home and they've got the poorer sides away but away games are difficult in this league they've got to win the homes they've got against the poorer sides they've absolutely got to Tottenham I think yeah typically what tends to happen is though the reverse 
you'll uh, against those better sides, they'll probably do better, and against the teams that they're expected to go out and you know take the onus onto those teams, they end up doing worse. That's like as Killian he said, it's you know the history of the Spurs, of the Tottenham Hotspurs. That's in their DNA, and I think obviously with Ange, this Spurs is a little bit different because they tend to play the same way from minute one to minute one hundred, and they try to take the the game to whoever they're playing and I think depending on how Palace set up I know Glasner's come in and he's he's well known and well renowned for playing <coughs> a 3-4-3 and he did last game and Jordan Ayew was really impressive and Eduardo Mateta kind of made up the other positions in the front three they, and they looked a lot more compact and they knew how to attack as a team and defend as a team I think Tottenham will find it difficult because the pressure and the onus will be on them. And knowing Glasner, knowing kind of how Ange plays with the high line, I can end, I can see it end up in a draw rather than a Spurs win. And they'll probably go... Did you say they've got Newcastle? Is that home? Or no, right? the next one they've got, they've got to go to Villa Park. Go to Villa. In the reverse one, again, they were they were unlucky. They, they beat Villa in the, re, in the reverse one. I remember Lo Celso scored. And was no, it, no, Villa no, they won. Lost, they, that was they, went, they went ahead. They went ahead mm. and they lost 2-1, yeah. And I think, again, that could be happen quite easily, especially the way Villa have now picked up their form and, and they've kind of, um, they're pushing and they're, they're in the place that Spurs want to be, um, want to be in in the, in the final Champions League spot. Well, although fifth place could actually get you Champions League, we don't know yet, um, depending on coefficient. But I think, yeah, Tottenham will have a difficult game against Palace. Um, but obviously the benefit for them is having all the key players back. It's the key players, Beth. They've got Basuma, Sara, Madison, uh, likely to all be available. That first choice midfield, it's what got them to where they are in the league now. And I think that that's what they'll think. Okay, if we've got them, we've always got a chance. Yeah, it's a really strong midfield, isn't it? And I think Van der Ven being back is massive. And I suppose it remains to be seen whether now they've got most of those players back, whether they can sort of replicate that that kind of run that they went on at the start of the season because they were being talked about in the in the title picture, weren't they, for the first couple of months of the season? And only by idiots, Beth. Yeah, well, I mean, they did win the league, didn't they, on the on the thirtieth of September, was it? Um, but I, I I do agree. I think it's it smacks of a game where Spurs are going to drop points because it is the sort of game. You know, you could you could see them beating City there, particularly considering the record they've they've got at that stadium against Manchester City. But I think with the sort of the feel good factor around Palace at, at the moment and the, and the way that, that Glasner will want them to play, I could see that being quite a, a tricky afternoon for Spurs. I'm I'm surprised by all three of you really. Uh, I, I I think there's a chance that Spurs dismantle them uh, solely because I think that the way Palace are looking to play. You've got the thing that happens when a new manager comes in where it all feels good and also he wants them to play. He wants them to play through the middle of the pitch. He wants them to look after the ball, a lot of clever little inside passes. But all it takes is a couple of them. You know, Spurs have been really good at winning it back and getting turnovers and going the other end over the course of the campaign. So I'm, I'm, I am going to differ with the gen general view on this one. I fancy that Tottenham could win it and possibly even win it well. Uh, at Goodison Park, uh, Everton have got themselves four points back, Beth. West Ham have got Lucas Paqueta back and I think both of those things are spiritually significant for each of these two outfits before this game uh, on Saturday at 3 o'clock West Ham just looked a different team as soon as Paqueta was playing and it felt like more importantly Jared Bowen looked like a different footballer as soon as Lucas Paqueta was playing Yeah, I, I think I'd still probably stand by the fact he's the best away player I've seen at Anfield in the Premier League this season I thought yeah. he was he was excellent in that game he's such a, a gorgeous footballer to watch the sort of footballer that I would, would really start to panic if Manchester City eventually ends up getting the hands on him which looks inevitable pending obviously all of the, the off the pitch stuff um, yeah West Ham are a weird team aren't they they're a strange team to try and predict because they can look absolutely unstoppable at times and then they obviously have had I think it's you know you look at them they're, they're in eighth the, the through to the, to the last 16 and they won one, one of the, the last nine games in all competitions. So you can understand why there's a little bit of discontent in West Ham's fan base in spite of the fact that on paper they're actually doing fairly well over the course of the season. Um, for Everton, I think it will be... I think the atmosphere at Goodison might play a factor. I think it's the first game, obviously, isn't it, at Goodison since the since the appeal and, and the outcome of that. I think there should be a little bit of buoyancy around the place. Um but I do think in terms of the, the football inside of it, I think West Ham will, will have the better of it. Um, it's just how much of an influence the sort of the emotional side of it comes into play for Everton. The, the idea of 
Everton getting the four points back, Mike, it's it's massively significant. But one of the reasons why it's massively significant is because they haven't won a game since the 16th of December. And it's a neat way to have four more points if you're not winning any games of football. Yeah. Uh, to me, I still think they do need a win. Now, listen, I think that one win will just calm all nerves. There is the possibility of a further points deduction, but as I say, that could also land at Forest's door. You've then got the idea that we'll come on to talk about Luton, but they've lost a little bit of momentum and the other two look too far gone. But in general, I sort of feel as though Everton could just do with a win for the general happiness and joy of Everton. They they need something at the minute because it's been so long and they've been thwarted in so many different ways. There's not much of that kicking about really in many seasons is there a happiness and joy of Everton <laughs> football. Um like it's 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 something that's in short supply and, and when they get it they must they must grasp it. And I, this this deal I think they'll see this game as massive like that. It's 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 a chance them to do so because they know West Ham can be patchy and I, I agree hundred percent you know Pakatar is a fantastic player Bowen's obviously flying high after his hat trick, but West Ham can just be mad. And like if, if Everton if Everton get it going, and, and do take a lead and then frustrate West Ham because it, it's a Everton can be a mad side to play when 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 they're doing things well and frustrating sides, and just back, the bounce of the ball goes to them and then they're back in if they play Onana or Harrison down like either side maybe and, and they just carry the ball a little bit further each time West Ham players might tend to just start scratching their heads and going we, we are better than these but we're just not today how, how can't we be it's 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 been massively frustrating for Everton for a long time and even the weekend there Bramford scores an absolute ridiculous goal and, and, and they somehow just of course they concede like down to 10 men on the 81st minute I think Brighton go and you're thinking that's it, Everton should be home and hosed and, and a, a good football side sees that out and, and, and starts to think that they, they can progress and pull themselves away without the point situation they're thinking about. But they, they don't, they draw. So you, you mentioned the four points, it's it's enormous. Like, and if, if they somehow go and get a, a positive result this weekend, whether, if it, even if that is just a point, and they feel like they can put well, well we put five points on the board this week, even though like we we didn't play and get them, you know we're starting to sort of pull away now from from where we were we were we were heading, um and and a, and a positive result here can maybe be a bit of a a thing they can tell themselves a story about. So we even though West Ham Apache, you know we're at that sort of level, so we can we can get points where we didn't think we should. The thing though is, it's very easy to to cock a snook at West Ham. I think Tessa. The flip side is, this weekend he's going to play Paqueta, Bowen, Kudus up top. That's about as good a front three as anyone else is going to yeah. whack on a pitch. Yeah, I, I watched them against Brentford and I was looking at it and I was like, if you if you squint and close your eyes a little bit and just kind of like picture a little bit of like a stripe on West Ham's shirt, you might think it's Barcelona because they've got Bowen, <laughs> Bowen Kudus and... And um, Paqueta up front. But obviously with West Ham, the biggest issue for them is this is the first win in five. They lost three and I think they drew one. But they conceded a lot of goals. They conceded, even when they're winning, they won 4-2. They still conceded two. Conceded 2-0 two to Nottingham Forest. They lost 6-0 to Arsenal. You know, they lost 3-0 to United. Everton, in comparison, even though they haven't won at the last five, there's four draws in there and there's only conceding one goal. Or I know they lost 2-0 to City, but Everton defensively, they're actually really quite good. Their issue is putting the ball in the back of the net. West Ham can score goals, their issue is conceding. So and it's a David Moyes Derby. Both teams probably would want the other team to have the ball, which makes things really, really interesting. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. both of them will probably want to press each other and counter. And it, it, it's it's fascinating because you don't know who's really going to take the impetus of, of the game. From a West Ham point of view, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, Paqueta, obviously he's a quality player. I don't think he's going to be at West Ham for too much longer. I mean, I don't even know how they managed to have Paqueta and Kudus and keep bowing and then replace Declan Rice with Alvarez. These are all Champions League level or have played in Champions League football and they all end up at West Ham, which I'm a bit baffled, a bit jealous as well. <laughs> but <laughs> it is what it is what it is. And I think West Ham go into this game at least now with a little bit of pressure ease because they finally won the first game in Niners. 
as Beth was saying earlier on, and I think they will probably just kind of sit back and try and counter it and nick a goal or two because, as you've seen, if you score one against Everton, they don't really score more than one at it, all. It's of all the games in the weekend, it's the most first goal the winner, or yeah. certainly first yeah. goal, not the loser yeah. game imaginable, uh, I think. I think whoever scores will not lose the game. Whoever scores first won't lose the game. They won't necessarily still win it, but they will not lose it. There's three other games at three o'clock. There's Brentford, Chelsea, Fulham, Brighton, and Newcastle Wolves. They suddenly all fall into a bit of a category of games you could easily struggle to be enthused by, Beth. I mean, if we were to try, we point out that Brentford probably still need four wins and they quite enjoy pissing off Chelsea. We'd point out that there's a bit of a race for seventh, that Brighton, Newcastle and Wolves are arguably all entrants into, and maybe even Chelsea as well. It feels a bit too rich, that for Fulham's blood, but then I think we'd point out that Fulham love to uh, be the loose horse, as they showed last week uh, at Old Trafford. But for three of the sides, I'd argue that the Cup quarterfinal is now a bigger deal for three of them. It is intriguing that ever so, suddenly in a season, 26 games in, you look at this, and for the first time, I'd argue, you're looking at three Premier League games and you're able to do a little bit of the Alan Partridge shrug. Yeah, quite quite possibly. I think I think Brentford are a weird one, really, aren't they? And, and it's been quite interesting because Thomas Frank has been linked with the Liverpool job, albeit tentatively, I don't think he's probably very high up on, on the pecking order and there's been a lot to admire about him and his Brentford team in the last few years. But then you're looking, they're only five points above the relegation zone, Luton have a game in hand. I think the one thing that will save them is they've got two teams in and around them in Everton and, and um, Forest who could potentially be, be subject to more points deductions. But you do look at them, you think they, they do sort of need to start getting points on the board, don't they, to, to really pull away from, from that drop zone. Um, so that will be an interesting one. Chelsea, it's, it's anybody's guess, isn't it? Who's going to turn up for, for that one? They are such a, a baffling team, as we saw last week, but have so much individual quality that I think can can hurt any side. Um, yeah, the, it's a, the, they're not the, the most thrilling bunch of games, are they, when you, when you look at it um, in terms of the, the Villa-Luton game? I think Luton, again, there's been a lot to admire about them, but then you, you look, it's, it's been a real torrid week for them, hasn't it? With Everton getting the points back, they had that absolutely mo- that maul in a, against City in, in the Cup. Um, for Villa, they've got a big European game the week after, um, but should have you know more than enough to, to get the job done there. Um, and they've got Konza back as well, as Konza, who I think will be huge for them because he's you know a, a player that I really like, a player that I, I would would actually not mind at, at Liverpool. Um so yeah, I put a few possible stories in amongst all of those games. Um, yeah, just looking at the fixtures now. I mean, I think Newcastle are probably the team that really need a result. Their season's just petering out now. I know obviously they still threw in the cup and they beat Blackburn, but that was just on penalties and they haven't really got much to play for. They're probably playing for... Conference League place? Maybe Conference League place, but I was thinking more so a future at the club. Because I think it's an important summer at Newcastle. I think, obviously, they have restraints with signing players. Um, and, you know, Dan Ash- Ashworth might be leaving, etc. But some of those players probably overachieved last season. Well, they did overachieve massively. And what's probably going to happen is they're going to have a clear up because a lot of those players have either been there a long time or they're not actually... To the standard of a team that's trying to get into Champions League or Europa League. Um, Wolves, Gary O'Neill, I think he's fantastic. I think yeah. he just keeps on going. And I think he's probably someone who's maybe a year away being linked with a half-decent job. I think I tweeted the other day, if Moyes leaves or if Thomas Frank leaves, that's who they should be looking at. They should just go for Is Gary that sideways? O'Neill. For Gary O'Neill? yeah. I don't know because I feel like Gary O'Neill going to West Ham, former player, former captain. Brentford feels very sideways. Maybe. Like it's up, so I think it's what, Ed, what Rob Edwards should be doing. Mm. Wolves and Brentford in that scenario is what Rob Edwards should be doing. I feel as though it's quite sideways for Gary O'Neill. Certainly certainly Brentford. Yeah. Less, less so maybe West Ham. Maybe O'Neill to Brentford might seem sideways because he's at Wolves now. But I feel like if he was to leave... Will say like he got sacked. I don't know whether another club of Wolves' level will then say O'Neill will give you the job. Whereas I feel, even though Brentford are kind of a secure Premier League team, if they went down, people wouldn't really be like, "Oh, Brentford, they're you know a, a Premier League stalwart." Um, 
So I, I, I'm not too sure. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a, a sideways move. The other games, obviously, Fulham. You know, they beat United last last week and they played really well. But United just kind of did the usual thing, play with no mid- midfield. So kind of helped Fulham. Um, <laughs> Bright, Bright, Brighton are still in the Europa League, so they're probably pushing on to try and just got Ajax home and away. I think they beat them. I think they go toe to toe with Ajax. Oh no, they haven't. Sorry, Villa have got Ajax home oh, and away. Got... I'll tell you who Bright, uh, Brighton have got now. Sorry, is it Roma? Oh, they got Roma. Yes. Okay, maybe they don't beat them. <laughs> Roma, are a transformed team under De Rossi. They're playing a, a different brand of football. Sorry, I don't want to go down the Italian football route, but it's okay. Stick, stick on the Premier League. Um, the other games, Luton Villa. I think Luton go and concede another four. I think they're full of fight, full of ambition and heart but they just can't stop conceding goals they miss Adebayo so much as well as an outball and an outlet and all the obvious stuff and credit to them because I thought they would be gone and buried when they got promoted I mean the stadium holds about 20 people and stuff like that and you have to walk through someone's kitchen to get to the stadium and whatnot. and they've been fantastic breath of fresh air Barkley's been linked with like United and other teams because obviously he's on a one one year contract so that's credit to them but I think I think most of the teams you expect to win will end up winning, apart from Newcastle. It's, I mean, there you go, Mike. Um, I, what are your feelings around around Chelsea at the minute? I feel like it was a big win for them midweek against Leeds. They've got to go to Brentford here. I think there's there's a weird little test of character thing now that's going to be placed on Chelsea's shoulders at every opportunity. So away games are massive. Cup t- cup teams, cup games against sides the division below are massive. I think Chelsea have got to they've got to keep showing something. I think because if not, they will have to find themselves having the character disparaged. Yeah, it's. <laughs> It's easy to do as well, isn't it? Because they spent a lot of money and they've still not really got enough or enough any balance to make them look like the an actual good football side. It's 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 wild, really. How how uh, you sign so many players and and then you still can't figure out what, where you are in terms of what you want to do and what your balance is. And Nicholas Jackson's missing chances left, right, and centre, and Kunku's being injured and and really hasn't got going because of the injury and, and not being able to play with a, a settled team. And then last week happens and, you know, he comes out and basically admits that he was trying to take Liverpool's team to, to penalties, which there might be some sort of psychological thing around that in terms of, oh, you've got loads of kids on here. The, who, who takes their pens, aside from Van Dijk, this, that and the other. And that's just down to not being not being sure on what to do themselves more so than scared of Liverpool, I think. I think they're scared of themselves. Like this, they, 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 mm. They're a mad side. They're in their own way a lot. And Brentford's, Brentford's tricky, you know. You know, Ivan Tony's back and he links up really well with uh, Rissa when he comes off the bench through the night. Um, you know, they're a mad side. Brentford, and as, as pointed out before, they need points. So they'll be licking their lips going into this game against Chelsea who... Uh, Really starting on the back foot in most games, as you're saying, there's there's pressure of of people watching, not just not just the Chelsea fans, but the, the Gary Neville can't wait to stick a boot in, <laughs> um, and Pochettino can't wait to then come out and say Gary Neville's wrong every time he, he wins a game against anyone. Now by the looks of it, he's, he's made up with himself beating Leeds last minute, and look, that's something they may be able to build off. They they need to probably go and win the FA Cup, I think now, um, because they're, they're not. They're probably not going to get into Europe. I don't think they're just a mad side. They're not. They're not good yet. I don't. I think they're a long way off being good, like consistently enough. But they've got good players, and and you know Raheem Sterling can win games on his own. Um, so it's it's finding a way of doing that really, and 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 doing it often enough between now and the end of the season for it to be salvageable, really. And and the FA Cup might go a long way of doing that, but in terms of the league. They just need to be using that to 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 find confidence again. It's 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 mad, really, how how under underwhelming that season is. If you're a Chelsea fan, okay, uh, we'll gloss over uh, Burnley versus Bournemouth um, because you've got to you can't you, you can't do everything. Uh, it's not possible. Uh, here's <coughs> David Mooney uh, on Manchester City. Joined by David Mooney to talk about obviously the Manchester derby. And we're going to focus in on that. We'll get a full catch up with Dave next week in the run up 
to uh, the game between Liverpool and Manchester City. We'll all be different people by that, for God's sake. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell you what I'm going to say now already. Like, like Liverpool will win because it's at Anfield. There we go. Job done. You don't need me on next week. <laughs> no, I'm to clip that. Maybe anybody would say is you know if we could play for 15 minutes as uh, manifestations. Uh, <laughs> you know, people can have it as people can go to sleep to it. Uh, like, like, like some people put Spotify the waves on. Uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, it's a nice idea, but I think there is more to it. This one this weekend is one of those ones where I feel like, and I think that you may well agree with me, we can predict what Manchester United are going to try to come to do when they go to when when they go to the Etihad. It'll be similar to what they did at Anfield. Uh, I think I'd be very very surprised if this is a United side that's coming with any intention of playing progressive football. Do you agree with me, and do you think that Pep Guardiola crucially agrees with both of us? I I think I think that's the only thing they can do. Um, I I think you look at, at how United have had points off City in years gone by, especially the Etihad, weirdly, and especially Solskjaer. Yeah, Solskjaer yeah, was like he was a crap manager, but he kept winning at the Etihad somehow. Um, they they the only hope they've really got of doing that is to make sure that City can't play and to make sure that City can't do what they did to Luton. If they do, if they if they go man for man and uh, leave the sorts of spaces that that Luton left for City in, in in midweek, City will rip them apart. And I really hope that that's what happens because I I really hope Ten Hag comes with this massive game plan of doing something like that because. As dangerous as they can be on the break, and as dangerous as they can be, uh, they they United are in this this kind of weird position at the moment, where as a as a team and as a club, they're they're clearly not very good. They're a team that is is not unified. They they don't play together. They don't play um, like the, the sort of football they play is. There's no direction. They're they're all all pulling in different directions. And yet, because they're a collection of uh, good individual players, some world-class players, some not-so-world-class players, they can pull themselves out of, uh, of bad situations with a with a goal out of nothing and with you know a strike out of nowhere. Look at look at the the Forest game they played last night, and they were awful. They were absolutely awful for ninety minutes. But they have a moment where somebody can deliver a decent ball, and and Casemiro gets his head on it, and it goes in. And that's how United have existed for the last five or six years or so. And when you kind of look back at, at everything that they've done at the Etihad in years gone by, that's kind of how they've won the games. They've won the games not by being the better team, but by creating two or three really good chances and taking them. So that's kind of what they have to do this weekend. They have to come and make it a stodgy game. They have to come and, and kind of defend deep and cut out the space and break up play. And Bruno Fernandes has to throw his arms in the air and roll around and do that horrible gurning face that he does when he's not got his free kick. And they, you get kind of this situation where City just kind of, they they end up, certainly against United in, in, in those sorts of games, they've ended up where the frustration's got the better of them. United a bit on the break, and then that's that's been that. So... I, I'm not, I, I'm not hugely confident that um, City will just go there and win the game comfortably. I'm confident City will win, and I think they can win, and I think they should win. Um, but I, I also think there's there's a little bit more to it than just turn up and play well and win the game. The game last season, to me, what's striking about it when you compare it to so those games that you're talking about, where United frustrate City, mm. the counter, score a goal. I'm always intrigued by. You know, when I look at the the, the 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 expected goals data underneath those games, it's often really really tight. By the time the final whistle goes, and the yeah. reason why is because whilst United have only had four or five shots, there have been shots of high value because they're yeah. back. Why City in the meantime have had twenty shots, but the shot great value yeah. because what was different last season in the six three that I think is interesting leading into this one is City do have a lot of opportunities, but they also have. I'd say five, six, seven quality opportunities. Not definitely nailed on should score, but good player will work goalkeeper chances. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All the way I, I, I think. I, I think. Yeah, and I think when you combine that with with the last few weeks, um, like I, City haven't been playing well recently. They they played really well at Luton. Luton was um, probably the most entertaining game of the season for for City. Um, they didn't control it in the way that they control games normally, but they were they were much better at, at taking their chances and punishing Luton when the when the, the opportunities came up. And in the weeks before that, you know they they beat Everton. They weren't great against Everton. They beat Brentford. They were 
I mean, they were chaotic against Brentford. I don't know where that where that performance came from, but it, it just was what it was what it was, and they got over the line. Um, I think I think I overheard Guardiola's instruction at the in, at Bournemouth on about eighty minutes. I think he was shouting "Start the car" um, because they they absolutely like the end of that game that could not have come quick enough. They were they were really struggling. I'm sure there's. I mean, I, I was speaking to a Liverpool fan friend of mine uh, I was at university with who was saying. Like I, I can't believe Bournemouth haven't got anything out of that. That's how the game ended, um, and so like perf- those performances were were building up a f- for a few weeks running, and then the Luton game comes along, and we're all going, "Oh, this is going to be tough," because you know Luton going away to Kenilworth Road has been tough for everybody, and see so just turn it on and, and play really well and exploit the spaces, and they go re- they go direct to Harland, and it works works really well. Um, so I'm a bit of I'm at a bit of an impasse at the moment. I don't know which city's gonna gonna yeah. turn up for the weekend. If it's the one against Luton, then they they'll have no problems whatsoever. If it's the one that had been kind of really struggling to find how to control games and and to to um to actually take chances and well to create good chances and then take them, um they they could struggle at the weekend, but they they could struggle and win. And that's kind of how that's kind of been the story of City's season so far. Um, so I, I don't really know which way. I, I think this one definitely hinges more on the mood City are in than the mood United are in. I, don't, I think City have got a ceiling that they can hit that's a lot higher than it has been recently, whereas I don't think United have had that. And I think if United are going to win, they're going to need all of the, the good old factors to come together, you know, the good fortune, missing City missing chances, the, the you know breaks in play, that sort of thing, a real stodgy game. Um, and if they get that, they've got a chance. If if they have an open game, I think City will tear him a new one. Do you think there's a way he makes it an open game? Because that's the thing that and I think he does that a little bit in the six three. And I think he, I've been intrigued by watching this because you and I have talked about, for instance, City don't do counter attacks. They don't mm. do counter. That's all what they do. But there's been other stuff that they stopped doing that they've started to bring back. They've started to play with just two at the back, throw both fullbacks forward, invert. At times, but not commit to it wholeheartedly. They've started to play, you know. I think a little bit more, a little bit more direct, a little bit. I feel as though he will always want to be as risk averse as humanly possible. But I think he's moved his own dial a little bit. Do you think it's an argument in this one that maybe, just maybe, he goes, "You don't want, you don't want an open game. I normally don't want an open game. That's not my business. But guess what? What we're going to have here is a bit of an open game." I I'd be surprised uh, purely because I think I I, th- I still think he looks at those stodgy games and goes you know it's a stodgy game we've got better quality than you, better quality than you have so we're likely to win it so yeah you want a stodgy game all right let's have one but you'll you won't leave your half for twenty minutes see how you like that sort of thing um, and so I I don't know how keen he is to to suddenly open it everything up and and go end to end I mean a, a fascinating thing would be. For for Guardiola this weekend to to go go on then you have possession just see what happens I don't I don't know what would happen I I assume it would it would cause City problems but like I'd just be interested to know what um like what what United would do if they uh, if they suddenly had, had to do something um I, I I do think when it comes to to kind of um the the directness I think City have got a bit of a I, I don't know whether they'll need to invert anybody for this game because I don't know if they'll they'll if Stones is available and he's, he's playing centre back, whether when he steps into the middle, the entire point of that is to is to create those overloads in the centre. But if they've got fullbacks who have pushed high and wide, I don't know if Guardiola is going to be fit. Uh, but if it's Ake, he can do it anyway. He can he can get down the line. Um, Walker's been playing really high this season as well. If it, if they've got those two players stretching the pitch, then whoever your wide players are are coming inside and creating the overloads. So I don't know if he's going to need the um, the, the, the inverted kind of centre half and or, or the inverted fullback to uh, to do that job. Um, at the same time, if you can get even more bodies into the middle, then you, if you the city, what City need this weekend is they need their players that are good in tight spaces to get on the ball in tight spaces. So they need Bernardo Silva in the middle. They they probably need someone. <coughs> Like in order to hold the width, it probably needs Foden out, kind of stretching the pitch. But at the same time, he's one of them that you've got to get on the ball in central areas because he's again good on in in tight spaces. And I think the injury to Jack Grealish um, at, at Luton hasn't really helped that because I think I, I think he's much better in those sorts of of tight games than uh, Doku has been. And Doku, I mean, Doku's very raw at the moment. He's he's got a lot to learn and will and and I I assume will learn it under Guardiola because that tends to be what happens. Um, but he, he, he 
kind of feels like he's your sort of a uh, bit of a live wire, take a chance sort of player. And maybe that's maybe that's where Guardiola goes with it. Maybe a lot of it is controlled, and then you've got Doku on the flank to just go on call, call some mayhem, see what happens. Um, but I, I do think it'll be interesting on that front. I don't think he will actively try and pursue an open game um, unless United make it open, in which case, if they if there's room to go direct to Haaland, if there's room for Edison to ping the ball straight down the middle to Haaland and, and him to hold it up, I think if United are pushing up and, and trying to go man to man, he'll do that absolutely because that's that's kind of that that's been the well, that that's been his way out when teams have gone man to man against him. Okay, excellent stuff from Dave. Let's get back over. Great stuff as ever from uh, Dave Mooney there from Blue Moon. Um, Tessa, United disappointing against Fulham. Um, felt oddly, weirdly like it was sort of half in the post because it had been going too smoothly before then, whilst sort of flirting with danger. Carragher got himself in trouble uh, with the with the Manchester United manager for for pointing out the fact that no one plays centre mid. Um, really, um, how did Forrest go? Because obviously, I've seen absolutely none of it. What with the Liverpool game happening at the same time, we've been winning, but there's still being cause for concern. And then, obviously, Hoyland picked up an injury. He's going to be out for two to three weeks. Um, obviously, Luke Shaw is probably out for the rest of the season. Adding to already Lissandro and their three key players and. Going into this Fulham game, I don't know, it was a three o'clock, they were they were energetic and every single point that Jamie Carragher made on Ten Hag was correct. Like there was nothing that Carragher said that wasn't spot on. I think where Ten Hag has an issue with Carragher was in the past he's made comments and he hasn't been spot on because he hasn't given certain players, i.e. Lissandro was the main one, a chance before he even played in the league. And he wrote him off, and then he, first season he was really good. So I think Ten Hag's never forgot that. In terms of yesterday against Forest, I mean, I read reports and saw the highlights and stuff. I think United dominated majority of the ball. It's just the pl- it's difficult with United because obviously there's a long-standing issue with player recruitment and the balance of the squad. Um, some of the players that United have currently are you know, from past regimes, and they still carry over that kind of, you know, that kind of malaise of the club not doing well. And then you've got young, fresh players like Mino, Hoyland and Garnacho, etc., et who are coming in and showing that, you know, this is a new Manchester United. And there's a blend of that. And I think what needs to happen is probably we need to get rid of four, five, well, it was reported up to 10. I said there about 15 of them need to leave. Um, hopefully if that happens but the, the issue is you don't want to then have a Chelsea situation where you've cleared all these players and you bring in a whole host of new players and then you almost have to write up this right, right off the season because you need to integrate all these fresh players I think going back to what Carragher was talking about and Man United not having the midfield that's down to the manager that's how the manager set up this season he's kind of just said we're going to play 4-3-3 and we're going to press and the front six or the front, yeah, the front six or the midfield three and the front three are going to push up and engage. And the back four don't follow and we don't condense the middle of the pitch. So if the opposition have good players to play around us and knock ones and twos in and around that area, there's a big chasm between the two centre-backs and whoever's meant to be the defensive midfielder. And it happens in a lot of games. What's been happening recently is that when United have had Lissandro Shaw, etc. on the pitch, when we have the ball, we then score one or two and then the opposition gets a bit demoralised and the game then becomes a bit more even later on. But when we don't have our best players, the tactics that the manager have, I just don't think they're, they're suitable. With it, Beth, looking at them, United, it, it always looks to me like no matter what 11 they pick, and even in the last few games where Tezza was saying they've done well and there's been a few back, I always look at the 11 and think it's patched together. All 11s look patched together. So last night, um, it's Lindelof and Varane at centre-half. I couldn't tell you if they're the first choice centre-halves. I'd like to think they're not. Martinez probably is in there. Lissandra's in there. Um, Amrabat's at left-back. He's not the first choice left-back. McTominay's starting centre-mid. Main, who does come on for him later in the game. Uh, Anthony starts, uh, which is nice for him. Gets him out the house. 
Um, and then and then Rashford's now playing number nine because in the absence of etc etc Bruno I, I just every single time and I think that it has been an injury hit season in one sense but every single and listen at the minute there's no patched up team no club that looks more patched up than Liverpool currently but every single Manchester United team I sort of say I think well, there must be someone good they're not playing. Uh, whenever I see, whenever I see the lineup, yeah, definitely. And I think whereas Liverpool have that strength of character to be able to navigate difficult times and navigate injuries, I don't think Manchester United at the moment have that. I don't think there's the belief in each other. I think that that's been the sort of the most impressive thing for me about Liverpool the last couple of weeks is that you felt that the senior players on the pitch have trusted the younger players and have felt like they've got you know ten ten men around them who are going to bail them out if things get hard and I don't think United have that um, I think they do have a lot of individual quality still I think that they do miss Hoyland um, I actually really like him I think he's a, you know is he 21 he's yeah, you know he's still has a, has a really high ceiling um, and I think they miss having him as a focal point because that's what they've, they've sort mm. of developed in, in the last few weeks Um yeah, I don't. I'm not holding out much hope for them this weekend. I've got to say. I mean, Ten Hag came out, didn't he, and said, you know, we've done well against City in recent years. And I looked at the, the stats before. City have won six of the last eight between the two in, in all competitions. So I mean, the, the, the odds are firmly stacked in City's favour, especially coming off what they did against Luton in, in midweek. Um, the only positive I can cling on to from a Liverpool perspective, in terms of you know wanting Manchester City to, dro- to drop points, is has a slight feeling of that week that that City uh, that United got a point at Anfield. You know, they've been beaten by Bournemouth at home. They go out of the Champions League. Now I know obviously, you know, they lose to Fulham. They they stay in the FA Cup just about. Expectations aren't really on them and as as I've said, you know, they've got individual players who can provide moments of, of magic, um, albeit maybe slightly fleetingly. Um, so if, if if one of them gets on the score sheet and, and gives Manchester City something to worry about at the weekend, then maybe they could scrape a point. But yeah, I think it will be, be fairly comfortable for City. Mike, um, first and foremost, I think there's a chance it's Liverpool repeated uh, from Manchester United. I'm also expecting a bit of a bad-tempered affair. I think that there's that's been something that's sort of frayed at the edges uh, of this fixture last couple of times out. Um, I'm not saying that particularly suits any either side uh, in any way shape or form um, I'm not expecting it to be you know as as, as Sunday uh, football goes I'm not expecting a thriller uh, there's a chance we get something that at least manages to tick the box of moody <laughs> it'd be nice wouldn't it um, I, I, I'm with Beth I don't really hold out much hope for United I think they've got to make it a dog of a game um, and, and Hoyland mid being missing will be a massive part if he's if he's available I'm talking myself into United doing more um, but then I'm also talking myself into well, they probably need to score three to even take something away from this game it's it, it's I don't know it could be a mad it could be a mad high, like scoring affair if that was the case if he was fit and, and but he's not so like United now are going well are we building up how are we getting at City here? And you can, by the way, I, like before the show, I was saying to Tessa, I think this Man City team is, apart from the first one, under Guardiola in his first year, and maybe maybe a little bit 17-18, but maybe I'm biased because we did it. This this Man City feels like you can get at them. 18-19, you mean? 18-19, sorry, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we we got at them and, and not many else did. But but I think now, like, Bournemouth, Bournemouth, but, I don't. I don't see that. Man, I don't. I've never seen a Man City team go to Bournemouth and struggle like they did last week. Um, I, I can see ways of getting at them, and I can see. I, I could see maybe it, it being e- not easier because it's, it's not, is it? They still a quad football side, and look, I might be talking absolute rubbish because you know Haaland scores five of the week in midweek there, and, and, and De Bruyne is basically setting every one of them up. So if if that clicks for, for for Man United, it could be a long night. But I, I do I do think you're right. I think it could be it could be moved. It could be tackles going in here, there, and everywhere. Referees withholding yellows because it's a derby, which should be yellows. Then that means the game gets even moodier, and 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 maybe there is a, a way the the sort of you know streetwise themselves to a point by just saying go on then beat us and, and Man City don't because they haven't really been. Like blowing, they've won twelve. I think it's twelve or thirteen now out of the last fourteen, and it's 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 not really been on Man City on a roll then because they've not been like 
to the two 0 against Everton is is a game where it could be very much ever, uh, based upon this weekend where Everton do quite well really and Man City don't have a shot on target until the seventieth minute. And you'd like to think that United are maybe a better side than Everton, but also like the, there's just no balance as Tesla was saying. It's 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 mad, like it's mad and it, it probably needs to be moody for them to even be in the conversation of points at the end of the game. The the what you mentioned before when you said, Oh, are there any players there must be good players that aren't playing? The only player that doesn't play and it's a bit confusing to why he doesn't play is Ahmad Ahmad Diallo. Obviously last season when he was on loan at Sunderland in the Championship, he became their key player. They were talking about him being one of the best players they've ever seen in period. And obviously this season, his season has been really derailed by injury, but he came on in January against Forest for a cameo and he looked quite good. And then he missed the game against Newport because he, he had illness. And since then, apart from the game against Fulham and obviously last night he came on, that's probably about 45 minutes he's had in about eight games and it's weird because in that same time I know Garnacho has now moved to the right and he's been playing a lot more from that side but Anthony hasn't really been playing as much and you'd, I would have thought well this is your chance to kind of now completely kind of ostracise Anthony a little bit and give then Ahmad those minutes that you give but then Anthony gets his way back into it um, the interesting point you made about United probably doing something similar to what we did against Liverpool it's kind of conflicting for me personally because I feel like Ten Hag has this... I've realised with Ten Hag, he thinks that he has to play in a way that appeases the Man United fans rather than play in a style that he thinks mm-hmm. should be implemented. Because I remember an interview, him talking about, like, you know, we have to play into the United traditions and you need to kind of play back to the United way. And the the sentence that always sticks in my head and I always repeat it is he wants Man United to be the best transition team in the world. And I always think if you want United to be the best transition team in the world, usually the best transition teams are the ones who are best without the ball. They're like Liverpool or Dortmund or Barcelona City of previous years because they press really well and they know like you attack as a team, defend as a team. And Man United do the complete opposite. We attack with the front five <laughs> and then we leave the back four and the keeper on their own. And it's so confusing because mm. I think, what does he tell the players? Because the players are doing what he wants. Because otherwise, as we've seen with Sancho, Ronaldo, McTominay, Maguire, it's at certain parts, you don't play because Ten Hag is very much like almost like a dictator. So if these are his kind of principles, and they don't work week in, week out. <laughs> and then he comes out and he says, we could have won that game. And it's like, yeah, but you conceded 25 shots. Five he's, games he's, in a row. Yeah, he's been doing that against every single calibre team, though, which is, is screaming alarms, isn't it? Like, you can see 20 shots against Luton and then you do it the week later against City. It's like, well, hang on. Something's, something's definitely wrong. <laughs> There's a podcast I listened to and they said, I think Luton had 58% possession against United for a period of time. And so... <laughs> They said they don't even have that much possession in training against, the, <laughs> against their own team. Which is true, though, because when you see United play against a Luton or a Wolves or even Newport, you're thinking, hold on, this is our best team, but we're allowing them to have the ball to try and counter them, but we can't press properly. I just think it's got to the point where his days are a bit numbered and it's a case of he's auditioning for the job he already has. But at the same time, there isn't an outstanding candidate to replace him. So he's kind of lucky that he's able to just continue game by game. And I think he kind of knows that a little bit. That's why we're seeing Omari Forson play and start, even though he's meant to be a, a, a number 10, he played them wide and didn't play Ahmad. And, you know, Maino, Garnacho, all these youngsters come into the team. He's trying to cling on to the roots of United. are usually a team that bring through the youngsters. And that's what I'm going to do and that they're going to help me. But I just don't think he's tactically he's up to it. I think I think he's he's got too drawn into trying to appease people or a way of playing that doesn't suit the players. And I've been saying it all season. Prediction? 1-1. One, one. <laughs> After all that? 1-1. One, one. Rashford? 3-0 City. Yeah, I thought... I'd love it to be one one, says I mean, but I, I, I really would. <laughs> I need a bit of. I'd, I'd pay it to be one one, to be honest with you. But I, I just think City will probably probably win two. It's goals. either one 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 or five three City. Mm. 
I think City will win by two goals, yeah. They're your two options. They're the two <laughs> flavours. Uh, your, your wine is, right or, is white or red. And for this one, uh, you can choose between 1-1 one, one or 5-3 to City. <laughs> and that's the way in which it'll go. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much to Tessa, to Mike and uh, to Beth. Uh, Dave was on the phone talking the Man City angle behind that one. That's been the Friday show. Sports Social Podcast Network.